Welcome to Therapists Are People. Wait, therapists are people? A group of therapists discuss mental health, answer questions, and interview other humans. Hey, looks like we got the band back together, everybody. It's good to see y'all this morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be back. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming back, Kyle. We missed you. I missed you too. Don't get to see enough of any of you anymore. It's really weird. It's super weird. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk about seasonal changes, a whole bunch of different seasonal changes. We're going to talk about seasonal changes around mood. We're going to talk about seasonal changes in terms of location. And so that's an awkward tease to mean like people will be returning home potentially or not. And the changes that come with the kind of usual rhythms of the year. And uh, also seasonal stuff in terms of what's happening in the in the world right now. How to talk about things like the election or uh, and whatnot with with people in your life. Um, we just think that it's it's probably timely to talk about all these different seasonal things. Um, I don't know what what are some of the things that y'all are most kind of concerned about coming into into this fall and the winter. I'm worried about not being able to be outside as much. Um, especially as it's starting to get a bit colder, days are a lot shorter. Yeah, I'm feeling that a lot right now. We spent like almost the whole weekend outside. Whenever y'all are listening, it was warmer <laughs> when we recorded this. And <laughs> it, I'm going to miss this so much. I kind of wish I was recording outside right now so I can soak in the last little bits that we have left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think today's it. I think so too. Yeah. So again, when whenever you're listening to this, just imagine a warmer time. That's when we're recording this. So you know it's fall when the sixties are warm. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So balmy. What are yeah. other people gonna miss or have a hard time kind of adjusting to this fall? Concerned about my body just gets confused. I, it'll, I'll feel like, man, it's got to be eight thirty or nine o'clock at night, and I look at the clock and it's like five thirty or six, especially when it gets starts getting dark at like four thirty. It's just weird. I'm like, all right, should, we should be getting the kids ready for bed, and it's like, oh wait, no, it's six thirty. What do we do now? It's just odd. And it takes yeah. a long time for me to adjust to that. Yeah, I'm super thrown off. Even though daylight savings wasn't that long ago, or was was you know over a week ago, I feel still. Well, what's interesting is how much our society doesn't shift our activities or responsibilities for the winter that has a natural change on our body and our body goes into survival mode. This is the time that we hunker down, we introvert, we have to put on a little bit more weight to even kind of survive the winter in a very like um, old sense of just like having bodies and yet we have no major changes in our day-to-day life to facilitate that like need to introvert a little bit more and self-care more. So I I noticed this pretty significantly when I moved from Utah to California in my childhood and California, nobody changed. Everybody kind of stayed the same because the weather doesn't change. And then coming back here and moving back into that seasonal rotation again of like, oh, my body wants to slow down. The roads are going to get harder to drive on. Everything's dying around me. And like, so I want to introvert and like let a part of myself go and a new part emerge. Like all of that's happening and I'm excited and nervous for it. Uh, like most years. Yeah. So much of that. I just totally resonate with and <laughs> just kind of like listening to that and being like, Oh my gosh, why don't I change in the winter? <laughs> but 
I won't let myself do it. Society doesn't let you do yeah, it Emma too. Was beautifully not said. just you. <laughs> yeah, it's that's so true. I mean, the way that we kind of structure our our work lives, our school lives, for for those of you listeners who are students, you, you probably recognize the ways that those things don't shift in the way that they ought to. Yeah, semesters ramp up by the end. Yeah, good point. It's even harder. You get less daylight and your body's more confused and you have more to do. That's not that's not easy at all. No, not at all. A thing that I hear a lot about a lot from students is this sort of anticipatory seasonal change in their mood. And I, I think that a lot of that, by the way, is is normal. As our bodies are exposed to less uh, sunlight, we don't uh, have the same kind of uh, energy that we typically would at the, at the uh, warmer parts of the year. Uh, deficiencies in terms of the nutrients that we're, we're taking in shifts our ability to have energy. But uh, so it's it's natural to have a bit of a dip in energy, um, and for some folks that dip can cause pretty significant mood changes as well. And so this is the thing that I, I have students ask me about a lot um, is I don't know if I have this kind of winter blues versus a more seasonal affective uh, disorder. Um, people will sort of throw that terminology around. I wonder how you all talk with students about that who are concerned about seasonal changes in their mood. Yeah. One of the things that I find myself talking with students about is that um, a need to check if other things are remaining the same. So a lot of the coping strategies that perhaps folks lean on that help them manage um, stress at other times of the year, like do those coping strategies shift and does that contribute to mood being a little lower? Um, like I know for myself that we were talking about spending time outside. For me, it's not not just the time outside, right, in the sunlight, but also that I'm more social um, when I'm like able to do things outside with friends and especially right now with COVID. Um, that's been like in a distanced way, the only way to see family and, and feel, you know, comfortable um, for myself with that. So thinking about how perhaps folks are spending less time with meaningful others, less time outside, um, maybe not doing as much activity uh, as, as they've done before. And then like, what's the impact of not doing those coping strategies on mood? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I <clears throat> focus with my uh, with the clients that I work with and also myself and family and friends like on recognizing that things don't happen as organically. Once the days get shorter and it gets colder and people just don't want to go out in the cold, um, things don't just happen kind of spur in the moment so often. And so we have to try to, we have to try to do things on purpose, try to have fun on purpose, which might not have been as difficult before. It's definitely more difficult during the pandemic for sure. Um, like I have to make myself be excited to go out in the cold, like, oh, this is going to be a fun walk in the brisk cold, or I'm excited to take my kids sledding or whatever the thing is that I might not actually be super pumped about. But um, I guess the skill is finding happiness and finding joy in places that you might not naturally just because you recognize that it's, it's what you have. It's kind of all you have. 
can't wait for sledding. I'm still a child, so I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super pumped for that this year. Man, I hope we get a lot of snow. Christmas I know that's an no. unpopular opinion, but I want a lot of snow. If it's going to snow, I want it to snow. Well, especially yeah, now that too. we're all working from home, like I feel like I'm happier rooting for the snow because I don't have to worry about driving in it. So I'm like, oh, yeah, bring yeah. it on. Mm-hmm. Only like one day, two days a week, I got to leave the house. <laughs> there you go. That does yeah. make me, though, think a little bit about this winter. Like we're not all work- we're all working from home. So those like opportunities to like get out or even just organically walk across campus or be outside a little bit more. I think we're going to miss some of that sunlight. I even think like last winter, Kyle, you said something that that resonated with me a little bit. So we had meetings in the like very bright and early and Kyle a couple times like saw me and another coworker waiting for a bus and he's like, let's just walk it. And like as much as I did not want to walk in the cold, I knew I felt better after Kyle encouraged us to walk from the east side Mm -hmm. to the west side of campus. And so I think this winter is going to be a little bit harder too, just to like motivate ourselves to take those extra steps because they're not even as organically available as they would have been in the past. Kyle, maybe you'll have to text me and tell me to like go for a walk or something. All right. I'm going to start looking at your schedule and being like, Heidi, 1130. Go for a out and back. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things that um, strikes me often is a lot of students will sort of self-diagnose this like winter blues and they'll say, I must have seasonal affective disorder, right? And one of the things that I try to help them understand is um, that seasonal affective disorder is essentially just depression that happens over this period of time. It's with a with a winter pattern, right? And so essentially, we can't actually know if that's the case unless you've experienced it. And those symptoms are generally pronounced. They actually occur uh, within those winter months and largely not outside of it. So if you notice that your uh, depressed mood happens intermittently throughout the year, it's likely not with a seasonal pattern, right? It's not likely that it's the winter that's causing it. But if for two or three years you notice that's when the changes happen, that might be an indicator. One of the things that people um, often read about or think might be helpful to them are these light boxes, right? People sit in front of a lamp. It looks like, I wish y'all could see this right now. It looks like Brittany's actually in front of one right now. Uh, she's not. Her window just, <laughs> I, I think her, her window is just really uh, blazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> So she's getting the natural version of this right now. You'll have to tell us how it feels after our podcast. (laughs) The light boxes are essentially these lamps that provide a full spectrum of light so that you're taking in the same kind of uh, uh, light that you would otherwise if you were outside. Uh, The light changes during the wintertime. We don't get the same full spectrum and we get less of it. So we, we are able to for example, uh, absorb more vitamin D when we use these light uh, light boxes. If you're at the University of Iowa, by the way, you can rent these. Uh, we have them available, and so you can actually check them out for a couple of weeks um, yeah, through student wellness, and you can rent them to, to use them, uh, especially as we enter this time of year. So just know that. 
interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people like these a lot. I'm, I'm so glad. I think it was student government, actually, mm -hmm. who was kind of the, the brains behind this project. So kudos yeah. to them. There was one student. I think his name was, uh, was it Mike, Michael Aguzma? Micah. Yeah, Micah Aguzma. Aguzma. Former Oops. RA. If you happen yep. to be listening, Micah. Micah. Yeah, he was awesome and spear, spearheaded that. And did he end up getting a grant that paid for them? I remember that being the story. Maybe, maybe we'll have him on the show. Yeah, and then then the things just flew off the shelves. Like once word got out that that we had light boxes that students could check out for free, they just flew off the shelves. And then students liked them so much that they would um, continue to um, uh, renew their whatever you know. What's that called when you check a book out and then you keep it longer? I think you just renew it. Yeah, no, they've renewed them. <laughs> I don't need to make it any more difficult than it is. They would renew them, and then they would be like, "Hey, I don't, I just want to keep this. Can you just charge this to my U bill?" And then they would just end up buying them. So the program took off really, really well. Yeah, I think it's so cool that we have that available uh, to students. So if you are uh, on campus, check it out. It's a really cool resource. Yeah, and just yeah. about the light boxes too. We had some debate the other years, just wondering about if there's any contraindications with them. And the research shows that they can be helpful for a vast amount of people. Um, that there is no negative interactions with people with bipolar disorder, which was a concern. It's just recommended that you do it earlier in the day rather than at night, because at night your body should be getting darker light. So if you're doing it in the evening, you're going to be energizing your body at the end of the day when you're supposed to be like letting it relax. So just be mindful about when in the day you decide to use it. And um, it really does require consistency to feel any kind of effect of it. And I think you do it maybe like 20 minutes a day. So you can sit at your computer as you're getting ready in the morning and just kind of have it glowing at you. You have to be within a certain range of it, but it it seemed to be helpful at least if not just a placebo effect for me last year being uh, my first year back in winter since, you know, for like 15 years. So I do recommend people checking it out, particularly if you're used to a lot more sunlight. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I think another thing that we wanted to talk about on the show today, which sort of gets away from seasonal affective changes, seasonal mood changes, um, is about the changes that come with this time of year. I think folks are used to a certain kind of rhythm. Um, on campus, I know that a lot of students, I, I had a student reach out to me the other day to do an interview about how, how is the changes in the academic calendar going to affect people's mood? We're going to have a, a, a fall break uh, that is followed by virtual instruction. A lot of students might just stay at home. Then we have a longer winter break. So at least here at the University of Iowa, I mean, there's a lot more time potentially away from campus for folks. And I, I've been trying to come up with ways to talk about this with students. I think for some, this is fine. No big deal. But there's a lot of students also who are pretty concerned about being at home for as long as they're going to be there. And I've honestly found this is uh, an issue that it's, it's pretty idiosyncratic, right? Like each student's experience at home is going to be pretty different. But what are you all talking to students about when it comes to going home for a longer period of time? I talk with them about what they like and don't like about being at home. Like what are the, what are the pros and cons, pluses and minuses? And how can, we, how can we maximize the pros and then problem solve around the cons? And a lot of them are real savvy 
and have already put a lot of thought into it. Um, it does strike me though when that some students have so many fewer degrees of flexibility that the, some some folks really do feel kind of trapped um, when they go home. Their parents put them right back under their thumbs or uh, where they're from is not very conducive to seeing other people if they are in more of a rural community or um, things like that. And then COVID is putting a huge um, kibosh on people getting together. So. Yeah, I think I work a lot with uh, first and second year students on campus, and a lot of them are concerned about when they return home, how previous kind of rules to how they were when they lived uh, with with whoever's at home uh, might return. So, and they, they, they've gotten used to this sort of sense of independence, and they don't want to have to regress, so to speak. So, you know, I've, I've encouraged a lot of students to start talking ahead of time about what kind of um, expectations are they going to have? What, what are, what's their family going to sort of anticipate that life will be like? Instead of having that discussion once they're already home and they're feeling the pressure of, hey, I used to have all this freedom on campus and now I don't anymore. So talk with family ahead of time about that. Yeah, and I also like to normalize the conflict they might have with their family around this time as the students are going home from being more independent and figuring out more of who they want to be rather than who their parents want to be, there's going to be this like edge between the two as the parents have to let go of who they wanted their kids to be and to accept who they are. And that storming and norming period can be really challenging for a lot of families, depending on um, how far the independence goes, how different the ideology the student picks up is. So um, it's really, I think, about grounding yourself in what's important to you remembering what's important to you about those relationships that you have with your family and figuring out where do you need to kind of advocate for yourself more and where can you kind of like just observe and notice how you've always been treated and maybe thinking about the ways you'd want to shift it moving forward. Um, so it's not about neglecting this part of you that's growing, but remembering that this part of you that is shifting isn't something your family's seen shift over time. So you have to be patient with them as they also adjust to who we're becoming and who they are becoming too without us there, especially if you're like the last kid in the family, you know, your parents have the empty nest stuff going on. So I always encourage students to look at the situation with compassion, communicate with honesty and communicate with kindness. And when we do those three things, I think we tend to have better outcomes. Um, but the other thing I emphasize too is like, you don't have much control over your environment necessarily. Some kids are going back to rooms um, at houses where they have to share the room again, so they have no independence. So learning to create a lot of internal safety and respect for yourself inside, making sure you go on walks and or just even go sit in the car for 10 minutes when you need just to be with you. Brittany, I think that that, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh. No, I just go think ahead. that like Sorry. connects with a conversation I've been having a lot with students is like, how is your self-care on campus going to be different than your self-care at home? On campus, I think there's often more places that you can go to be alone or to seek out specific people if you want versus like going home, like maybe you are sharing a room. And so going to that car or finding those different places but also keeping in mind, like for a lot of students, from what I've heard, like some of their self-care is figuring out how do they set boundaries? How do they communicate differently with their parents now that they are more independent? And so thinking about kind of like everyone's talked about, but like how do we continue those communication patterns? Or are there ways that we want to shift 
but that they're still going to feel good to our own values and our own self-care needs and kind of finding that balance. And I think it's going to be even trickier if you're home for such an extended period of time that's kind of figuring out how do you want to normalize this into kind of that daily life. I think another way that like I'm encouraging folks to set boundaries, I'm so glad that you brought that up, Heidi, because for a lot of students, returning home is a pretty toxic or even a dangerous place. And to have to be back there for a long extended period of time um, can be a real setback for folks. So I'm always encouraging people, especially in those situations when home is not a safe place, if it's not an affirming place, depending on your identities, um, to think about how you will set boundaries. And that can be in terms of actual communication with your family, but it also can be in terms of the things that you do and you plan. So I'm going to plan to work a lot over the the fall break, for example, uh, so that I don't have to be home uh, in the environment that's not healthy for me. So uh, that's a thing that I encourage a lot of students to think about is how, how will you uh, kind of structure your time? How will you plan it out? Whose house will you go to if it's actually not safe to be in your home for a while? Is there, is there a trusted friend? Is there a, another relative around who you can kind of plan ahead of time to uh, have as a fallback plan for when things aren't healthy at home? And remember that it's okay to leave, even if it upsets people. Like, your safety and wellness matter first. So if you feel like it's not good to stay at your family's home anymore, but it's right before the holidays, you can still go back to your dorm. And it's okay to disappoint people for your wellness. I also know that there are students who are already facing that issue in the sense that they've decided it's not safe for them to travel. They've decided they're not going to get on that plane and go home. And that is hurtful to the family and upsetting to the family. But it also is to the student who doesn't want to have to make that mature call right now, but is doing so because they know that their parent has some illness or they know that their sibling can tolerate potentially getting sick. So there's a lot of grief going into this holiday season that there hasn't been before. Mostly we focus on like, how do we get through the family dynamics? Because they're tough. But right now we also have the How do I be around my family? No, I'm not getting them sick. How do I not go around my family so I don't get them sick? Um, How do I even come back to school or my friends after being home and like being around different people who could be sick? So there's these new complicating factors and there's going to be less celebrations, I think, um, for some people or very different looking ones that might involve our computer screens. Um, And so learning to let go of the expectations of previous holidays and being willing to adjust and be flexible with yourself and your family, I think it's going to be really important this year. That's honestly the part that I'm most anxious about is sort of adjusting to that. I really look forward to the holidays around this time of year and to know that they're going to be so different. Like I'm already kind of preemptively feeling grief around that. Uh, I don't know if y'all saw on various kind of social media, there was uh, someone who had posted some guidelines for kind of family gatherings. We'll put these in the show notes perhaps, but uh, the idea was sort of like, here are a couple of different things that you can all, and I mean by you all, like you and family members, whoever else you're getting together with around the holidays, can all agree to to make sure that you're safe ahead of time. And so it was almost sort of like a contract that everybody would sign. Like, I'm going to do this, you all going to do this, and then we can make sure we can get together in the way that we want to. It'll be smaller than it usually is, but here's the things that we're all going to agree to. And I guess a theme of today is just like plan ahead, right? 
talk with family members about are we all on the same page about what we're going to do so that we can gather if we're going to. And if we can't all agree to this, then let's find another plan for how we'll still mark a tradition that we have or holiday, but just not in the same way that it typically is. Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate that. I, I like the idea of both allowing yourself to feel what you feel around the grief or sadness or disappointment or loss around not being able to get together with family and also figuring out what you can still do. Um, I think the I think like the kind of corny folk wisdom of, oh, just focus on the positive. I don't think that that's really very healthy <laughs> overall. I think it's important to focus on the positive, but not not deny the other things that are truly there. So I'm, I'm appreciating this conversation in that way. We're, we're feeling stuff and it's okay to feel it. And then we can, given all of what we actually do feel, what can we still do? I appreciate that a lot. I also think we need to make room for those who this is maybe a little bit of a celebration that you don't have to celebrate this year. I think the holidays have so much pressure around like this expectation of getting together with family that maybe you don't have the energy for, or you just, you got so much going on that that's not a value in your life, but it's always forced upon you um, because it's so integral to our society that I don't know. For me, I'm breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief that I don't have to figure out my travel plans. Like I know I'm not going to travel and I'm going to stay here and I'm not going to do big celebrations this year. And it's like my rest and recovery year from the holidays. Yeah, that's a really Fair. nice reframe around that. For I think that's the case for a lot of folks, Brittany. What do you all, what are your all thoughts around um, conversations around the election with family? Like that's... Folks are about to go home, and some families are all on the same page, and they'll probably have less uh, less strife involved in their communication. But um, what about the students who don't see things the same way as their families? And, and this is not assuming any political ideation, just wondering what are your thoughts around folks whose political views don't align with their families or specific family members? Yeah, Kyle, when you immediately said that, I started to feel tense already. <laughs> like, I just know anticipatory. Like that's going to be really hard this year. You know, I think part of that contract stuff you're mentioning, Pat, was it Pat or Kyle? Sorry. Um, I Pat. think, you know, if it depending on the family values and culture, some people might want to talk about how that shouldn't be part of the holidays for them if that's not okay. But at the same time, I think this year is a little bit more complicated with that because the political strife isn't just about politics. It's about identities and it's about values and beliefs. So, you know, I think it's it's much more complicated than usual. And each family is going to have their own way about deciding if they need to approach this in a particular um, in a particular way or not. And I think the best thing we can do is remember what's important to us and sometimes that value of I need to defend my politics is in spot one and sometimes it's family in spot one and they're probably going to go back and forth a lot and it's going to probably be a topic by person response for how we deal with it. Yeah, this is so challenging. Uh, I, I suppose maybe my own anxieties about this are coming through today, but I think one thing that I think I found in having difficult conversations with, you know, family members of mine who I, we, we definitely don't agree and see eye, eye, eye to eye politically, uh, is to find some point of connection 
And so when we disagree, like it's very natural for us to sort of by uh, to, to polarize, right? Like I believe this thing and you believe that thing. And uh, then that sort of breeds the mentality that there's going to be a winner and a loser of the argument or like someone's going to try to convince somebody else. Um, but I guess what I've tried to find is uh, ways that I can connect with somebody who actually thinks something very different than me. And one way that I might do that would be some would to say would to be to say something like, you know, I remember when I I believe I believed that thing that you're telling me too. Well, I felt nervous about that thing that you're telling me about too. Here's why I feel differently than that now, but I I do actually remember feeling that way. Or I I know that that part that that thing that you're saying is inside of me too, as a way to be able to start to talk across difference as opposed to maintaining difference um, with people that I very much care about. I tend to focus on choosing my battles. Mm-hmm. And if it's and if I figure that the return on investment for my emotional energy is not going to be worth it, then I just focus on listening. And, you know, I don't tend to learn much from talking. So I figure if I listen, then maybe I'll learn something I didn't know. And then I won't ruin my own day. <laughs> I, I, I will step up and talk about things if I think it's going to be worth it. But if not, then I just listen. I like that. I, oh. I think there's a lot of wisdom. Yeah. There. I like the idea of picking your battles too, Kyle. And I know like, at least for me and just like thinking about family, that's one thing that I do is I almost preemptively pick my battles too and have that conversation ahead of time of like that agreement that like, Maybe this isn't going to be a conversation today that I care about you. I understand we're holding maybe some different ideas here and that's okay. We all have kind of our ideas, but for today, we're going to choose to focus on something else or talk about something else and just kind of having that verbal agreement among kind of just whoever you're with and whatever that could be. Um, And I talk about that a lot with students too, is almost again, that preemptive boundary setting. How can we feel comfortable going into those settings and knowing, maybe not feeling like we always have to be on the defensive or worrying about what may or may not come up. One thing that I've noticed um, in my like extended family gatherings is that in the past and, you know, we haven't had that quite the same way this year, but certainly like with communication and whatnot um, and social media is that uh, I have those people in my family where I know we have uh, shared values and kind of similar lines for where we don't feel like um, I, where it doesn't feel like compromise is on the table, you know, especially around things with like human rights um, and really leaning into those relationships where it's kind of like, you know, we text back and forth um, support for one another when engaging. And, um, you know, I have a, a sibling who has more, um, more folks in his orbit with different beliefs. And I find that um, like being able to touch in with one another on like, okay, where am I coming from in this? Uh, Am I being too bullheaded or is this 
like looking for support and holding a line, I guess. Um, and I think that that has been really helpful for me and my family because we are very much Midwest nice, which sometimes sweeps things under the rug, right? Um, and and it festers under the rug. It's not like it's actually swept and gone. Um, so I think sometimes being able to identify like who are those people in my life that I feel able to communicate with in really frank and honest ways and who I trust that they will give me honest feedback when I ask like, okay, here's my reaction. Talk me through it. You know. I appreciate you saying that, Kristen, because I think it's actually really important to invite the dialogue. Like as much as we're all talking about setting limits today and sort of picking your battles and choosing what kind of conversations you're going to have with, with people over the holidays, all five of us on the podcast are white. I'll speak for myself. The majority of my family, almost everyone in the family is white. And I feel like in some ways I, I have this internal battle with if we all just sort of don't talk about this thing, if we, if we all don't talk about politics, if we all don't talk about race and racism, uh, if we all don't talk about uh, oppression, is this another way that we're reinforcing the the system of oppression? Yes. Um, and so I feel like it's, I, I have this duality within me. Like I really want to enjoy this holiday that I, I, I treasure and I love. And it might be actually beneficial at some point for us to call it, be like, you know what, we're not going to talk about this thing because it's obvious that we're not having a productive discussion. But I actually do feel pretty motivated to talk with my family members about our differences. And even if it's the tactic that Kyle's mentioned, like, listening, I just want to learn about your perspective. Tell me more about it. I want to thoroughly understand it. I'm not here to challenge you or argue against you, try to convert you to my point of view. But I just want to learn about that. And I want to try to relate in. I want to try to be compassionate with you. Um, I still think that that's really important to do with family, especially given the identities that I hold. Yeah, I feel like the conversations are really important if it's safe enough to have them. And I think there are so many students, so many individuals who are going into families where it's not safe to have those conversations because effective communication hasn't been laid down as a groundwork. Respect isn't just necessarily there between people. And so whenever you try to defend or express your point of view, it's going to get shot down or it's going to get attacked with like not decent conversation. And that's the conflict I'm having is we need to speak up. We need to have real conversations about this. But if both people aren't willing to stick to logic and facts and express the difference between personal opinion and fact, and also just like treat each other with respect, then there's no conversation to be had because you are not going to be listened to and you're not going to be respected and you could be harmed in that process. And so I think we need to all be really careful with how and where we're talking. And I know that even like, if the family agrees that, hey, we're not going to be talking about the politics, but somebody still wants to throw in those jabs, you know, those, oh, this is a political comment. Oh, this is just a little political comment. And those can get so exhausting. And I have found one of the ways to deal with those is to not address the comment, but address the emotional reaction you have. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, you just hurt my feelings with that. But 
when somebody says something that's harmful to me, I go, ouch, like, ouch, that kind of hurt just to like, let them know, like, this is a wound, just like a physical wound is. And I'm hurt by this. And you can probably figure out why. So I'm not putting myself in a vulnerable situation of having to explain it or having to like, get into why it's harmful and tell them that they're being harmful. I just let them know, like, ouch, that hurt me. And if they care about me as a person, they will take that ouch and examine it. And that's a way to kind of test, is this person worth having a deeper conversation with? Yeah, I like that idea of like, there's a test for this, right? You can you can determine whether or not this is going to be productive and healthy or whether we should, we should dive into this. We should actually push ourselves further. Well, I, I wanted to just give a couple quick plugs before we wrap up today. The first is if you are uh, if you're a listener, hopefully you've been you've subscribed and uh, so you see when our newest episodes come out. If there's a topic that you want us to explore on the show, um, go ahead and email us. You can email us at ucs-therapistpodcast at uiowa.edu. So that's ucs-therapist singular podcast at uiowa.edu. Let us know what you want to hear us talk about. If there's an issue that you have, there's a question that you have, uh, it's not a place to email us for counseling. It's not a place to email us in crisis, but it is a place where uh, you can let us know what your ideas are. And we'd be, we're, we're excited about um, producing future episodes that are focused on what you want to hear us uh, focus on. So there's that piece. Um, I can't think of the other stuff. Is there other things, team, that I'm missing before we wrap up? Well, I want to give one more shout out to uh, Mr. Micah Aguzma. Sorry for calling you Michael. I know your name is not Michael. I know it's Micah. <laughs> and I appreciate your work at Iowa very much. All right. Thanks, folks. Thanks, we'll Seth. see you next time. Bye. Bye.